Hi, is uh, is this thing on? Hello? Okay. Well, my name is Cheyenne Tyler Jacobs, and I am the host of As I Was Saying Podcast. Consider me your best friend that's not just going to let you sit there and think problematic thoughts. So sit back, relax, make sure you're following us on Instagram, As I Was Saying Podcast. Follow me, she will speak, and let's get it popping on this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to As I Was Saying Podcast. I am your host, Cheyenne Tyler Jacobs, and thank you all for joining me for this episode. As I always say, if this is your first time, thank you for stopping by and listening. And if you are a reoccurring listener, thank you for taking time out of your day to listen, and I'm happy to know you're one of my seasoned folks. Please be sure to subscribe to As I Was Saying Podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. You can also find the podcast streaming on my website, www shewillspeak.com. So this week, I am happy to have had a really deep conversation with someone who is a foster mom, with someone who deals a lot with undoing trauma and survivorship. And the reason why I wanted to take a step and have this interview and this interesting and sometimes hard conversation, um, especially with Mother's Day coming up, Sometimes our idea of what it is to be a parent and sometimes, you know, unfortunately the parents that we, you know, have had to live with are not always what society says and our expectations or are even healthy for us. And um, this woman, Shay, that I had the pleasure of interviewing has been able to foster 13 youth while also having her own daughter. And our conversation was amazing. We talked about the system of foster care and social work. We talked about, you know, toxic parenting. And we talked a little bit about just being a partner to somebody who is, you know, surviving, whether that be sexual trauma or just any form of a trauma. So that's, you know, a little bit of what's in this episode, just in case some of this material might be, you know, triggering or otherwise just very emotional. But I do encourage, you know, everyone to take a listen and maybe have some of those questions answered or even while I was speaking with Nache you know, really understanding on a deeper level these family structures and what it really means to be safe and what safety requires in the household and how we even teach people to be safe. So as I always like to say, I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to welcome you all to my wonderful interview with Nache. Okay, so welcome Nache. Hey. Hey, how are you doing? I am doing great. How are you? I I am doing great as well. And I love in these recent times, so every time I ask that question, the great for everyone is always paused. It's like, great, <laughs> what it what is happening? <laughs> yes. I actually, I saw a meme before we jump in and it made me laugh. I had to post it. It was a meme of Rihanna. And it was like, I know I keep saying this shit is crazy, but this shit is really crazy. I don't know if you saw it. <laughs> yes, I saw it. And I like went to it and laughed. Like, that's how I feel. Like, I keep saying it's crazy, but it really is. Like, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. So thank you yeah. so much for taking time out of your day, especially with everything that is going on and especially with all that you do, which, you know, our audience is going to hear about. So before we get started and any type of questions that I have for you, can you give us a little bit of information about who you are and your background and all of the great <laughs> things that you are doing right now? I'm doing a lot. Um, <laughs> My name is Nishe Bawahadia. I am 35. People tend to think I am either very old <laughs> or very young, but 35 
I am a single mom. I have a biological daughter who is 13. Oh, no. Whoa. She just turned 14. Crazy. She just turned 14 last week or this week. All right. See, days are running together. It's okay. <laughs> so she is 14. And I also am a single mom of foster kids. Currently, I have no foster kids, but I have fostered, I believe the last one that went home just recently was the 13th child in my home for the last three years. And I also, like my day job is operations. I help run operations for a digital marketing agency along with, we are a CBD distribution. And I also am an executive assistant to that CEO. And I run a ministry about trauma and how to find inner peace and help other survivors of trauma just start their healing process and finding calm in the chaos of their minds because of their trauma. That was very long, but yes, that's me. <laughs> that is awesome. And I just love all the work that you're doing. So for those of you who do not know, I think I've been following you for about a year now. And yeah. one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you and I wanted to bring your voice to this platform is because I heard another podcast of the day where it was someone of many different intersectionalities. And I think sometimes people cannot believe that you can be someone who has a faith and is spiritual, doing activism and have the corporate mm. and do all these different things. And you do yeah. not only do them, you do them very well. And with every post I would see you do or with every video that you would be talking in, I just love seeing the layers in who you are as an individual and seeing how open you are with, hey, like these are all the parts of who I am and they make up who I am as a person. That's one of the biggest reasons why I think your voice is so important and mm -hmm. especially being very open about being a foster parent. I love that. And I really want to know like what made you get into or like when in your journey did you find out like, hey, I want to be a foster parent and congratulations on being able to foster 13 children or adolescents? Thanks. So fostering has uh, been a very long journey for me. I, I think it, I mean, a lot of it stems from my childhood. I was not in foster care. However, I am a strong believer that I probably should have been in foster care. Um, my grandfather sexually abused me for 15 years. So from the age of five until I was 18, he molested, raped, and tortured me. My father at that point in his life was not the nicest person. So he's changed a lot and has healed, is in healing. So it's kind of, sometimes it's hard for me to like reference how horrible my dad was when we were growing up because he's so different. But all of that to be said, I just felt a lot of pain and a lot of loneliness. Uh, I felt like no one understood me when I was a child. Um, and I carried that with me. I carried that very heavily with me throughout my teens. And so knowing that there are other kids going through that kind of trauma and maybe not knowing how to help their whole family, that was the main reason to get into fostering so that people didn't other kids, other families didn't know, feel alone, but also to help families heal as a whole being, as a whole unit, rather than just um, 
replacing the parents because a lot of that is just a generational trauma and the system the cycle of systematic abuse like there's just so much in foster care that perpetuates the trauma cycle it just wanting to help lessen that was one of the main driving forces of fostering I love that you're doing this and I love that you shed light on you know your personal story and thank you so much for disclosing that and your transparency and I'm very happy that you were at a point in your healing where you were comfortable enough to use you know your story as that vehicle to your work Mm -hmm. and I really wanted to hold space for showing you that I personally am very appreciative of you telling me and disclosing that and and thank you again and I'm so happy that you are now standing in this power and being able to see the issues that come from these generational curses and even the issues, as you said, in the foster care system. I know you said, you know, some points about that, but are there any other points or some big factors that you feel aid in the institutional setbacks when it comes to the foster care system? <sighs> oh. You said how long <laughs> is this episode? That's not what I'm yeah, how long I is mean, this? <laughs> The biggest thing that has been eye-opening for how much this this system has been built in on like a bias and on a like on a racial just racially charged everything like I gosh I I can't even put it into words. I, when I first started, that was not, I didn't think that there would be much of that. I thought that I would just see how horrible the the foster care system is, period. Not necessarily, like, knowing that there mm-hmm. it is going to be some racial issues that I will see, but not see, I didn't think that I would see it so clearly. But what was so surprising to me is that everything in the foster care system is based off of the social worker's opinion of the situation. Oh, okay. So one social worker can think that it is a dire need that these children are unsafe and need to be removed. And then another social worker can come in and decide that, no, those aren't real safety issues in my opinion. Let's put them back. And then somebody else, it's, uh, it's just a constant, oh, no, maybe not. Uh, I think they're okay. Like, the parents are okay now, aren't they? And just so many cases that as they are stacked up, you can see the, like, deterioration of quality of work and, like, just due diligence and it gets really scary. Like as I have become more time in the system, I have way more anxiety and panic over social workers maybe not checking or maybe not doing their job than anything else. First of all, I love your honesty. And I definitely can see, and I know I worked within social work for a little bit at a youth homeless shelter, as well as with youth that were at risk. So it was like two or three different programs. One were, mm-hmm. one was youth that are at risk and we like go in and we speak with them. One was youth who were homeless. So they stayed 
And then one was like an emergency shelter. So there was like three different programs. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, as I'm sure people mm-hmm. would be like, okay, it's different regulations, but you'd be surprising how many regulations were in certain programs. And it was like, this makes no sense to me. They need that over here as well. And I can agree with you wholeheartedly on a social worker's opinion of a situation where it's like, well, they're in dire need of this. And I'm sure, especially you being a foster parent, well, I see them every day, like not saying your job is not important, not saying you don't have space for that opinion, but I'm also telling you what they're disclosing to me. And that was a big thing when we would work with social workers. And like you said, I definitely can agree that their workload is tiresome. Like there have been sometimes one person has like 200 cases. So you definitely sometimes like, okay, you're good. Okay. Thumbs up. But I've definitely seen on my end working with these youth, how it's like, when are they coming to see you? It's like, I don't know. I called, I texted, I did this. And it's like, this youth is literally in so much pain. We would have to send our director to be like, can you please get in contact with them? Mm -hmm. So I I definitely understand what you're saying. And again, this is not saying social uh, social workers, your job is not important. And this is not saying that you're not doing the work, but I think it's also us saying that we see the stress that you're under. But like you said, it makes it hard on our end because it's like, well, I see that this is a resource, but I can't even get you your resource. Yeah. And I, so I'm in Fresno, right? In Fresno, California, which is a conservative, conservative ass little town, a little valley. (laughs) And so when you think of all of that, right? So I've had some really crazy, amazing, like wonderful social workers. I have friends that are social workers that I'm like, oh my gosh, I could never have that job. But then you also have to remember uh, living in conservative ass city, you're going to have social workers who have been working there for a while for the county and they have their a bias opinion of what I look like. And so that also is a huge factor in a lot of the things that I have to weigh when I go to court, when I go and talk to a social worker, when I, you know, like it's just so, there's so many different layers that I, Mm -hmm. it's very hard to juggle when you really think about it. This system is so It's crazy because I feel like in one aspect, it's very carefully constructed depending on how you look at it. But then like you go to Mm -hmm. the back and it's like, Mm -hmm. if you move one toothpick, it could all Mm -hmm. fall down. And I think the thing that would always hurt and bother me when I would go into like our team meetings or we would go into case studies is like, these are live. Like, this is not a game. This is not my opinion. These are people. You know, we, at the end of the day, could be the very deciding factor that says they get this chance, you know, to get a resource as far as therapy or get maybe get their GED or honestly, let's get a safe place to live. And like you said, the interim of maybe their parents overcoming alcoholism or their parents going to court. And sometimes I definitely feel this as well. The opinions of others get in the way. And I think something Mm -hmm. that would always hurt me at my level, and this was, like I said, me working in the capacity of a social worker is sometimes how uninformed they were. I remember I was sitting there and we were talking about, you know, a young man who was a brown, a brown young man. And, you know, he was very upset and he was like, you know, I'm just going through a lot, but on the outside, he would present to be just, you know, very goofing off. I don't care, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when he disclosed to us that he was literally, he's like, I am depressed, but I don't know how to show it. And then he walked out the counselor who was a white cisgender woman was like, well, if he's just sad, why doesn't he act like that? Mm. And I'm just like, oh, this is why? I'm like, this is why they can't get help. Like, I, I wish 
who you would have loved to see me in this meeting. Ooh. I just walked out the door. They're like, where are you going? I'm like, to find the sense that just left the table. <laughs> I'm like, and, and it was, this is, but this is the kicker right here. I just worked there because, you know, I got out of college. I needed my coins. So my friend was like, Hey, you know, they're hiring here. I worked mm-hmm. night and then eventually got promoted. But this is the kicker is this person had the MSW. Yeah. 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 And you're saying, why doesn't a Brown young man. So look, look at a Brown young man who's seen trauma, who's been in situations of drug use, all these things show that he's yeah. depressed. I, I'm yeah. confused. Where, what? Yeah. Yeah. That's like, um, yeah, it's just crazy. It's, uh, I think also in that same aspect of like, uh, bio parents, because they have been in this system, know how to manipulate it a lot and also have a lot of trauma reactions because of the system. And uh, I'm very surprised at how social workers don't understand where that is coming from or like where the anger is coming from or like why they can't have a good conversation with these third quote unquote clients, these bio parents and not being trauma informed or like being trauma-informed but not taking it seriously I don't know I feel like those are the older the older social workers who like have been in it for a very long time but it's so crazy to me yeah and I and I think um with even regards to like older people who are social workers and I also think sometimes people who are in that social work field and sometimes just have their cookie cutter idea of what what someone needs and like you said when it comes to being trauma-informed and the workshops I've done numerous times on like trauma-informed care for survivors of sexual violence, I can say Mm. in my head, I think you should do this. I think I could should do do that. But the moment I push what my belief of healing is on to you, I'm wrong. If your belief of healing is like, hey, I just want to go to my church for like two times a week, or even if your idea of healing is I'm not ready to heal, I'm still mad. Yeah, you are valid in being, then let's be mad. How can I be a resource to make sure, one, your anger doesn't turn to self-harm? How can I be a resource to make sure your anger is not, you know, you may be acting out violently? Like, that is where we come in, in a capacity of safety. And I think sometimes the order gets mixed up in people's head. It's like, well, I have to push you. And I just had this conversation with someone. I want to push you to be your best. And I told um, one of my friends, are you trying to make them their best or your best? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the same thing as being a foster parent. Like you can't, you can't come in and tell these bio parents, like, yes, you, if you build that relationship, you can tell these parents like, Hey, you're doing this wrong or Hey, you're not like, that's not how we should do it. Or that's not the healthy way to do it. But if you come in thinking that you're going to teach them something or they're like they're gonna learn today from you or like that you're gonna replace them with their kids like that is a total that's the whole problem with foster care is that we're not helping them they have problems like they have so many problems and they are acting out in this way with their children or with like not with their children you know like they're neglecting them or they're abusing them because they have a lot of like unhealed, unresolved trauma. And so instead of just throwing them in classes of like, here, this is how you change a diaper, which is what we currently do as a system. There are other ways to, yeah, like 
which is not what they need. They need like, um, I have, and I call my, I call the bio parents that I still like that I'm close with. I call them my baby mamas. Yes. I've seen you post. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so like one of the baby, one of my baby mamas was like, you know, she said, I fought to get these services and I get to these services and they're telling me, this is how you wipe your baby's butt and don't hit your baby. And she's like, yeah, I get that. She's like, those are some valuable tools, maybe for one class, like one week. She's like, but I want to know what happens when I am craving the drugs that I am like clean from and I'm trying to parent, what am I supposed to do? They don't, they're not teaching me these things. They're not she was like, I need these things. I don't need those. Like, this is just check the box. Cool. You went to class. You're responsible enough to be like counted in attendance. Wow. I, I really like that you said that because that really, and that's going to lead into my next question. Um, you've been hitting the mark on this next question for, for, I think this entire conversation. I love that you're saying that like at that <laughs> point you were robbing them the actual resource that they're looking for. And I think you know, like you're saying, it is wrong yeah. to assume and talk to these bio parents like, well, you're a bad parent because you did this when they're standing there like, yes, I know I did. And I'm trying to get help. But like mm-hmm. you said, you're teaching me how to change a diaper. And so with that, I remember um, going across your Instagram one day and I stumbled upon a piece that you wrote and it, it even shifted my view from how we were always being taught to deal with folks, parents, um, the bio parents is you talked about not shaming bio parents, but instead showing up for them due to their unresolved trauma. So can you just like expand more on that and share your thoughts? Because like I said, it really hit me differently because so many people it's like, Oh, these parents are horrible. And you were one of the first people I saw that said, no, these people are in hmm. pain and we're not helping them by pushing them aside out of, you know, their bio children's life. Yeah, I think, I mean, and obviously that goes with saying, like, are these parents safe for these children? And maybe they're not safe for these children currently. Maybe they need help healing in order to get to be safe. And that's where we go to reunification, right? Mm -hmm. But as a foster parent, well, backing up, like as a bio parent, as a parent to my teen, because I have had such deep rooted trauma, I have gone through a lot of different phases of my life. And because I was so young with my daughter or having my daughter, I went through those stages of life along, like she went alongside with me and I got in, I was into drugs. Like, so all of these things that these bio parents have done, I probably not necessarily did because I had one person there to help me and it was my mom, right? My mom was the one that like picked up the slack. Mm-hmm. I could drop my I could drop my daughter off at in my drug years and my drug and alcoholic years. I could drop my daughter off at my mom's house and leave uh and not come home, you know, like and not come and get her because she was safe there. But these parents are a have been in the foster care system so most likely don't have a lot of family or any stable family. And then they don't have like that village behind them that can like help them go through that process because there are other ways to healthily cope instead of drugs and alcohol. But I never, I didn't know that at that time and nobody was there to help me. And so it's like a, as a foster parent for me, I feel like it's my job to A, keep the child safe first and foremost, always, but then help the parent go through this trauma that they 
A, probably never recognized or B, recognized and have no idea what to do with. And also C, most likely have been in the system or some kind of, some kind of system where they were offered quote unquote help, but it wasn't really help. So they feel like they're probably beyond repair or beyond damage or not, there's something wrong with them that they can't like mm. heal. So there's like all of these different factors and that is just their trauma reaction. Their child is involved in a huge trauma reaction, essentially. Wow, like everything that you just said was just so impactful to that. And I feel like the biggest thing is like you said, which I actually am going to even take in for myself that I think we've come up with the term or the like the word of this episode is like safety, right? Because I think a lot of times, you know, it's like, well, you got to heal and we got to get you these resources. We got to get you the services. And like you said, the first step is like, are you safe? And whatever situation we're operating in because it's true you know we can yeah. put you in um any type of like whether it be your bio parents house the foster house the, the the shelter but if you yourself don't feel safe at any one of those places no resource mm -hmm. i give you is ever going to work because your basic needs literally the basic need of safety mm -hmm. is number one so i really love that you were saying like safety is first and in fact trying to dismiss the bio parents of their own trauma like you said it's kind of keeping them in the system as well because it's like you're not fit and you're not this and you're not that like you said if they've been in the system and a lot of times they themselves were maybe yeah. in the system when they were children so yeah. that might also be the only thing that they know and i'm again i'm so um very thankful for you for you know being so open mm -hmm. because like you said you your own you know journey through that trauma is another testament of like hey like i'm not only a bio mom I'm, I'm a foster mom and it's like if somebody would have treated me the way that sometimes the system treats these bio parents you might not be in that spot yeah and it really is giving them the opportunity and that love mm -hmm. yeah yeah and like understanding like um and this has been like a very long journey and more of acceptance of my own trauma that I am not what people have done to me that I like yes uh, I'm I'm not responsible for what people have done to me, but I am responsible for like how I carry it and how I uh, present it to others and like what mm -hmm. my reactions are with those traumas. Um, and so that's like a luxury and a privilege that I have had because I have had such great career, like such a great career in corporate life that I was afforded those luxuries of being able to go to therapy and being able to get do these random classes and taking psychology classes in college and like all of these things that because of my economic status as a child or from my family, I was allowed to have those luxuries and those privileges of healing my insides. Whereas that's not normally like people of my my gender or my um culture don't get those luxuries you know mm -hmm. so i gotta spread it i love that and see that's why i said before being able to be a vehicle for everything that you yourself have gone through and being able now to communicate that as far as like okay well I can change the system from within. And even like you said, if your change is these 13th youth 
like you said, these 13, um, these 13 youth are going to be like, Hey, like, I remember you. I remember what you did. The bio parents are going to be like, I remember what you did. Mm -hmm. And even in the beginning, I liked what you said, how it's like, I am a part of this and not so much we are removing them, but I am a part just to make sure like everything keeps going. And, um, definitely with being able to lead and be that pillar through all of that. And I know, you know, while doing my, my background and my research on like who you were more because I'm like oh my gosh like <laughs> you're doing so much I saw that you actually have like a parenting through trauma course yourself oh yeah no I have a part it's a partnering that class is for partners of those who are survivors oh oh okay we're gonna get into that then <laughs> so it's more of like as a survivor of trauma what are the things that AI need my partner to understand as trauma and it kind of goes it, it, it a lot of it is uh, it's like a psych class I although I'm not in psych I just research my ass off <laughs> but it's more of like how do we respond physically and physiologically and biologically like how do all these changes from trauma happen in our bodies and why do we have these triggers and then it talks about how to set boundaries with your significant other and this is for the people who have uh, not had a childhood or any kind of trauma so it's the the non-survivor partner would take this class you know I actually really like that because um and I actually wrote an article for the black love page it was actually talking about dating you know someone who is a survivor and dating in survivorship so I really enjoy like that and actually like because I probably looked at it and saw parenting I was like oh cool Mm. but like partner part no partner through trauma I think is very important because so often we put almost the pressure all the time on the survivor when like you said like if you're partnering with someone here are some things you can do and here are some things you should know it's the same if Mm -hmm. anyone experienced anything like you would you know like to know like hey they're experiencing anxiety this is how you could help them cope with that so I think that is what you're doing is awesome as well and I've never seen a class like that I'm gonna like definitely check that out or like would love to or at like a late yes at a later time for that because that's awesome and I know um Another thing I always see you talking about and I see you coming back to is also um, the principles of your faith mm. and being able to have that faith and, and your belief. So can you talk about that as far as, you know, your healing process and kind of like your faith practices? Ooh, yeah, my journey with Jesus has been crazy. Um, I didn't grow up or in faith until I was like thrown into Catholic high school because my parents thought that that would like fix me because I was acting out my trauma but at that point in my life when Mm. I was a freshman I had never experienced any kind of Christ-like male attention it was always for something so my dad was always verbally and financially abusive and then my grandfather was always sexually abusive so I never understood what it was like to be treated as a human being. And then I went to a Catholic high school and all of these teachers like were just so nice. And I never understood what that meant. And then I started researching the crap out of Jesus. And then my faith, my like traditional Catholic faith grew from there. And then like, as I have been walking through this journey of healing in the last 15 years, my faith has kind of like come and gone. 
And at one point I was just like, there is no God because he let me go through those 15 years of torture. But as I started healing, just seeing that there is a God, like I have um, seen miracles happen in my childhood. I've seen miracles happen in my life. I've like been a part of miracles. So for me, it's just uh, Jesus is real and is the living, you know, well, he's the living water. I, I really enjoy that you said that. And I also enjoy like your honesty about saying, you know, you've gone to those points of like, I don't understand like why this happened. You must not be real. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely felt those feelings as well with my own trauma of feeling like, well, there must not be, you know, any being yeah. out there that loves me. Cause if you did, yeah. Yeah. this would not have happened, but being yeah. able to, I think, come back. And um, I know one of the things that I always was taught and I do personally believe is that, you know, it's about your heart. Mm-hmm really you know about your own journey and I know one of the things I hear a lot of people say all the time and I know my old old church that I went to you know when I was a child was like it's not a religion it's a relationship and I think you know when it comes to a healing journey everyone has their own journey with whatever with whatever spiritual practice you know they have and whatever faith means to them I'm really happy that you were also able to find you know that faith for you and being able to, you know, hone in on that. Cause like I said, you do a lot of things. So I know at times I'm sure that it just gets very hectic and it's like, whoa, like, I don't know what is happening. And so with, in addition to that, how do you practice mm. self-care? And like, you know, if you are, for example, parenting or, you know, you're being a resource, how do you maybe take a step back if you feel like you were triggered or you feel like mm-hmm. I'm just very overwhelmed or I feel like anxiety? Yeah, I pray a lot. Uh, I pray, I pray crap ton in like spiritual terms, I guess it would be more of like meditation because I recognize that, yeah, there's not going to be a lot of there or they're not, not everybody is a Jesus believer. And so that's something different, but that was something that I started out with was meditating a lot because I was a sexual assault response team member back uh, like eight years ago. And so that was when I started the self-care process Mm. of with all of this, because it's a lot of vicarious trauma um, and a lot of like secondary trauma. And so for me, I have to make sure that I am grounded and so praying. And then I do a lot of journaling and a lot of like gratitude. I try to make sure that I find something to be grateful for in every season and in every situation because that is something that I can be very pessimistic if I'm unhealthy and in anything toxic and so I will regress to like being very pessimistic and almost suicidal ideation pessimistic so in order for me to ground myself and be present I have to find gratitude in everything And so it started Mm -hmm. out with doing gratitude journals. And now it's like, when I pray, just thank you, like thanking Jesus for whatever I am grateful for and allowing that to be washed over me and feeling like that peace of knowing that there's some crappy, shitty stuff happening in my life sometimes, but there is always something good going on because that's Jesus. Jesus is cool. (laughs) <laughs> that's your new like slogan. Jesus is cool. Like that's just 
he got it. Yeah. He knows what's <laughs> happening. And I like that what you said about being able to like practice praying and being able to kind of have that understanding of like, okay, like this is my practice and this is what I'm doing. And you know, this works for me. And I'm happy that, you know, you're able to kind of practice that and be able to have those that, that, so you can take those step backs and breathe. And I, one of the reasons why I also love it is because like I said, I know when I first spoke to you is like, I feel like a lot of times when you're in these intersections of like trying to be an advocate and, and, you know, learning about intersectionality and you have certain language, people don't think that you can, you know, love God or that you can be, you know, any category of what a religion is or have this spiritual like connection with something. And I'm happy that you know you are very open like hey like you know Jesus is who's keeping me and and this is what's happening in my life because like I said I think sometimes people don't think Mm -hmm. you can have it all like I remember I told someone like I'm a feminist and I I love Jesus like and I like and I like that and you know people are always like why I'm like well at the end of the day you know everyone can believe and they're titled to their belief I'm like but for me I know that I would not have made it this far (laughs) So like I said, I, I, I definitely think it's a testament to like see you kind of be like, hey, this is all because of this is all because of this. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think like, um, because again, I live in conservative Aspres now. And so that I, sound I, is like <laughs> awesome. Like your voice actually like gets lower and like mad when you say it. Think about it. <laughs> so when I go there right or when I when I'm going there right now about this so I live in this town where everything is so so far right and so conservative and I come from the Bay Area super when I moved here to Fresno in 2017 I was very liberal progressive and now I feel like I'm very radical because I am very much into like I'm very much a part of the Christian world. And I hate saying that because I'm not really like, I don't feel like I'm a normal Christian. My friends, I always say that like we're radical Christians because we believe, you know, we're, we believe in anti-racism. We believe like black lives matter. We Mm -hmm. believe in feminism and we believe in Jesus. And so all of these things are radical, I guess, to, you know, Western Christianity. (laughs) yeah yeah and so I love that's why I like love all of the people that I have met in this like activism world but also believe in Jesus and like we can have that like common like wow Jesus is so freaking cool but also these people suck (laughs) you know what it reminded me of that scene from EZA where she's like what is it? Like, we have to pray for, like, I forget her whole name, Olive Pemmergott, and they're like, AM, but we need to get her out of here. Amen. <laughs> That's an example of, like, what we're not, but, like, what you just said made me laugh at this. Like, we are so blessed that people are speaking up. Amen. But we got to shut down this racist rhetoric. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard. I think it's also hard in for me because I know people's hearts and it's not necessarily like when I speak out about things in the Christian world or in church world, because I used to work in the church world, you know, it's like a sensitive line for me because I know that these people are not bad people. They just have learned, they've learned the white supremacist Christianity way. And so it's hard because I don't, I don't 
want to offend anybody because I am a Christian or because I'm a Jesus believer, but I also don't want people to believe that this is a Christian way in life. Like that's not how Jesus, this is like the, it's just so hard to explain because people are like, well, what do you mean? And then they pull up like a Jesus picture of Jesus and he's like, a hippie no like I had to explain to people where the Jordan is and like it's in Africa like do you not do people not understand like what Jesus looked like and then can we go from there (laughs) yes I definitely and you know I think it's also as you said um, before holding space to acknowledge like I remember when I was in like like an adolescent group that my church would do when I was going to my old church and one day we were talking about like you said like the image of Jesus and God and I told them straight up I'm like listen we cannot sit here at this table and not acknowledge that the image of this white Jesus today and even back then has committed genocide to hundreds of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And like everyone just kind of looked at me like, what did she just say? I'm like, nah, I'm like, exactly what you said. Cause they were like, well, what does Jesus mm-hmm. look like? And I'm like, well, this image of who he is, even in today's time, we can see these politicians being like, well, Jesus would want this. And it's like, you have to understand that it might be very hard for people to want to talk about religion or want to talk about these things when these people are passing laws in Jesus's name. I understand why you yeah. wouldn't want to believe in Jesus. Like, and I'm, and I honestly tell people, I'm like, I'm mad yeah. that they're like in Jesus name. I was like, cause that's not, no, like that's not what it is. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people right now currently in the United States are, cause this guy is, this Cheeto puff is huge into evangelism and a beloved president. Yeah. Oh God <laughs> help me. You know, he's a huge, huge into um, evangelical life right now he he's, has like Bethel in his back pocket and so people are like well look he's bringing Jesus like he's bringing Jesus to the mass you know he's using Jesus in prayer I think people don't understand that I, I believe in the separation of church and state and I believe in the separation of church mm-hmm. and state because I know that there are humans that are in state and don't know the same Jesus that I do in the, in a different church, you know, like, uh, and so their morals and their righteousness is very different than what I believe Jesus to be. And I don't want those people to a run our country, but also a run our country saying that it's about Jesus. And it's not because that's not Jesus. Exactly. And like I said, I enjoy um, what you just said there because it's so true. It's like, this is not what it is. This rhetoric, this rhetoric is not what is happening and this is not true. And I think, you know, in the work that you do, being able to be that voice and be that light, you know, is what it's all about. And like I said, I think it's beautiful that people can believe, you know, what they want to believe and form those communities with that. But um, like, I think we already kind of agreed upon and touched base on is like, it's also important that even if, you know, what you believe on has caused maybe some form of harm for others, it's like we just said, like being able to acknowledge that and being able to say though, however, this is how it's helped me. And so with that, because you're wonderful. And like I said, I've so much enjoyed talking to you. Like I've enjoyed talking to you over um, social media as well. And then being able to have this verbiage is amazing. Um, So my closing question for you, because I think with everything that you're saying, from talking about safety to bio parents to, you know, your, your relationship with Jesus, it's being able to really turn that trauma that you experience and kind of make it into your testimony, make it into, you know, your own personal movement. So what would your 
advice or a takeaway piece be for someone who is, you know, maybe going through trauma right now, or maybe has just, you know, got to a place of healing to be like, I want to do something. What does that something look like as far as using their voice, you know, their knowledge, their resources to maybe be a light to someone going through the same thing? Ooh, yeah. So for me, I always tell people what in your healing process from real, like even from the beginning of your trauma until where you are currently, what do you feel like you missed? Or what do you feel like you needed from other people and kind of like piece it out? Maybe if you're trying to be like a start an organization that helps others or using your testimony to help others more of like what specific parts of your journey did you find it like more lonely and how could you have fixed that or how could have somebody else come and fix that for you and guide people through that section of that trauma or that section of the healing um so that it like lightens the load on them later in their years because the faster they heal or the sooner they start healing the better the world is honestly mm. wow and I, I love that being that vehicle and then like I really noted that because it was so impactful for me what in your healing process did you feel like you missed yeah yeah because and there's a lot right and even and um I think I I think that I go, I have gone through many several steps of healing and I feel like it's mandatory to kind of go through like evolution and evolution, especially if you are a trauma survivor, just an evolution from that trauma, like away from that trauma. I always feel like you're going to have it as a part of you. It's always going to be an instinct nature or your trauma or your trauma reactions, because that's something that was embedded in you for so long. It's more of like being able to be still and control, like control it, like channel it correctly. How do we, how do we make it a positive instead of a negative? Or how do we show gratitude through this part of our lives and hold space for like who we were at that point? Wow. That's definitely, I don't even think that's advice at this point. I think that is like words and experience to live by. And I know I said that was going to be our last piece, but I'm so happy that you touched on that gratitude because I think so many times we just run through life, you know, so quickly and we're like, oh, I need to do this and I need to get this and I need to get this done that we don't take a pause to honor, you know, what we're grateful for in these moments. Yeah. Yeah where we are um and i and i one thing actually because it just sparked my mind i heard when my one of my friends was going through the journey you know and i don't even i don't even like to to say like weight loss or like working out i don't like those terminologies mm. i like to say she was more so like working on you know her body and what health means to her because i think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your weight is what your body type is you know if you feel like hey i want to be this idea of health and it's healthy then it's like that is my personal mission that is yeah. my personal choice but what she said to me was when she started you know same thing like being more in line with herself being more in line with, with jesus and, and um going to therapy all these different things 
she was like the key part that so many people miss when it comes to changing anything in your life, whether that be your career, whether that be your relationship, you want to start, you want to end, or maybe it is um, a form of what, you know, healthy practices as far as eating or being able to movement looks for you is loving who you are at that current moment. So many people hate who they are in that phase. Like so many people, as I'm sure you've seen, even in survivorship are like, I hate that I feel this way, but I want to be like that over there. And then they wonder why they can't transition. Yep. 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 I have become a master of uh, sitting in it is what I call it. Just sitting in that person that I am and having gratitude for like how far I have come because I have a lot of work to do. I mean, I'm always going to have a lot of work to do, but realizing that the person I was a week ago, the person I was a day ago, freaking a decade ago is so different. And so like just realizing that journey and how crazy that journey has been. Uh, I do that a lot. I do that daily almost of like, wow, what has happened in the last week? How have I grown in the last week? Or what has changed in me? It's eye opening. And it literally just makes me so thankful for grace and mercy. Hmm. Well, I am definitely grateful for being able to connect with you and being able to have this deep conversation. I know I feel like we've been talking for hours and covered so many subjects, but (laughs) they all link back to who you are as a person and they all link to who your journey is. So where can we find you? Where can we learn more about you? Where can we find your courses, you know, and all those different things that you are offering um, as far as like, you know, that healing and those leadership things. (laughs) All everything. I post a lot of like just free content on my IG TV. So Instagram, it's Uh, (laughs) And on there are all of like articles, um, other podcasts and stuff that I've been on. And then my courses are also on there. So I have a inner peace journey that kind of helps you through the foundations of like what we have learned through trauma and helping fix that and change our outlook on that. Um, mm-hmm. I have the partnering through trauma and then I do like life coaching one-on-ones for those who are like struggling with a certain area that they need a little bit more time on kind of just whenever. So that's also on my website and I think that's it. I <laughs> Awesome. So we can find, like I said, we can find you on IG and get all of your great, all that great information. So again, thank you so much for connecting. Thank you so much for dropping these gems. And thank you so much, most importantly, for the work that you are doing, um, being a foster parent, as well as being, you know, a bio parent. And like you said, being able to be that change within a system that definitely needs more support is, is I don't, I don't even have words to describe that. I remember, like I said, when I stumbled upon finding out that you were a foster parent and seeing how much you advocated for these youth and you were in touch with the bio parents, you know, like you said, if you were able to build that rapport to help them get those resources and be that extra guide, you know, at the end of the day, one thing my, my dad always says is like, if you heal one person, you help Mm -hmm. one person, you change the nation. All those little things that you did are truly going to impact the generations coming and that's important. Thanks. Thank oh my gosh. <laughs> that's yeah, it's it's like I said, it's it's just heartwarming to see that. So thank you again and I am looking forward to seeing 
all the work that you're doing in the future to see all the courses you come up with and to most importantly see your healing process continue oh thank you thanks for having me i love this you're very welcome so i don't know about anybody else but that episode I feel like we talked about so much in such a short amount of time. Like it genuinely felt like it went on for hours. So one of the points that I definitely want to pull away is definitely within the conversation of whether we're talking about families reunification or whether we're talking about family structures and relationships, safety is always the priority. But a conversation I was even having with my friend, I was like, I feel like sometimes we don't recognize that the same way we are going through our own trauma, every person that we are connected with has their own. And sometimes, whether it be a sibling, a friend, a parent, we almost assume that it's like, well, why can't you do these things? Instead of what I feel like Nache is really trying to get people to understand, what is the trauma or what happened that is hindering you from seeking this higher self and this higher light and this love that you have like she said there are classes that are teaching parents how to change a diaper when really what they're looking for is well how do I parent while still being triggered and I think a lot of people have those questions and even if you're not a parent I think this is a really big question to ask ourselves and to really maybe get to the deeper level and I think that this conversation as mentioned throughout the episode talking on an individual but also systematic level how certain workers there is this lack of communication not even just because of us as individuals just because of the stress of the system and everyone having their opinions on what should could and would happen and this is the one thing I always tell people in trauma-informed care that's why there has to be clear communication with the individual you might feel like you know what's best for somebody and you know in some cases you you just might you might know like hey like this is not a good idea and this is something i don't think we should do and this should happen but that's where communication comes in and i really do thank nishay for this conversation because especially that point of really working on the trauma of parents and the trauma of these folks who are trying specifically trying to parent they are trying to get over those demons and those hardships something i've never heard before until i stumbled upon her page so please make sure you follow her if you are interested as she mentioned before she hosts workshops and i really encourage anyone you know to make sure you watch her materials she posts videos and all those different things and I am going to um, be posting this week, hopefully, another interview surrounding this topic since it is Mother's Day. And I believe it's folks like Nache who are out there who are not only, I like how she said, and I felt this, not just a fill-in for the family, but a very important part to this family dynamic. So thank you, Nache, for the work that you're doing. Thank you to everyone who has opened up their home, you know, to help young people in a space where they need safety and they need a form of stability and I love that she strives to have these connections with her bio parents you know I love the whole baby mama and everything like that it's really beautiful so thank you again and on this episode since this week is Mother's Day. I wish everybody a happy Mother's Day and whatever that means to you, whether your mother is biological mother, whether it is a mother figure, you know, whether you are a 
soon to be mother, you know, mother of like, I don't know, five children, someone who's adopted, every form of a mother there is. I hope that you know that today and every day you are needed in this world. And like I said, I've interviewed a few more people on this idea of motherhood. And I'm happy to get those episodes out to you because there's so many conversations that we need to have. And that's why you're listening to As I Was Saying podcast, because we take the conversations we love happening and we go a little bit deeper in them. So thank you all for joining me. As I said in the beginning, my name is Sharon Tyler Jacobs. I am your host. Please subscribe to As I Was Saying Podcast. If you love what you're hearing, leave a review, leave a comment on the episode. It just helps me to know that you're listening and that the feedback is, you know, amazing to see that you're enjoying this. And I'm looking forward to the next episodes. And if you have any type of a message, a craft, a talent, anything that you think should be heard on this episode, please, if you go onto my website, www.shewillspeak.com, and you click podcast, there'll be a little tab above the podcast where you can click to fill out a form to be a guest on here. So everyone enjoy the rest of your week. And as always, thank you for listening.